This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. And welcome to the MCU Lorecast. I'm Captain Shenko. And I'm Psych88. And today, we're taking a turn towards the more comedic side, the more colorful side, the more unhinged side of the MCU with Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, we're we're gonna hit this one. Uh, talk about a departure from the Thor that we had beforehand. That is definitely for certain. Yeah, I know you and I had had a, a great discussion about the more Shakespearean elements of Thor, and as theater kids ourselves, we kind of appreciated that, and coming from Kenneth Branagh's very Shakespearean Thor to the Thor that we get in Dark World, a little bit more of a mature Thor. Yeah, we're gonna, like, take all that and and do a, a hard shift to port to the other side of Thor. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna do, like almost a himbo shift to port it's like okay some of his trash talk perfectly fine but there are other elements of thor here that i'm just like mm. this is a modern thor apparently who really understands the modern vernaculars and nuances and it's like it's just not again it's the it's the difference between someone who writes thor coming from the norse mythology and someone who writes thor who says things like shut up there are two different thors and that's kind of what i feel like we're dealing with here yeah definitely and we will get to all of those moments as we make our way through this movie but first we got to issue our spoiler warning so if you're looking for a spoiler free zone sorry lovelies you are in the wrong place thank you jen and where do we begin <laughs> Not in the past, actually. Not quite in the past. No. Wow, Marvel. Good for you. Taika Waititi, you get the a pat on the back. You get the cookie for this one, because we didn't start quite in the past, but rather in some horrible, fiery dimension where Thor's being held captive by the demon Surtur. And as he's hanging upside down, we get a couple of one of those comedic moments we were talking about. Like we start right off the bat, he's he's like yutzing it up with a with a skeleton, and it's like okay, well, this is different, and and then he's trash talking Surtur when he's down there, and it's like okay, so I guess you you hung out with Hawkeye for a bit is what it feels like. All right, sure. This is bro Thor. This is bro Thor to the max. Yes, yes, it is, and it just. I guess it's 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 Hemsworth and Wakiti, you know, they're they're like, you know, stretching Thor's comedic ability and I'm like, okay, it pays off here with Surtur and, and you know, calling his crown a big unibrow and so like but again, that's something a modern person would do. Not someone who's so steeped in Norse 
fighting, Viking, war. Like, it's just not something he would have done. I, I think what you're, what you're uh, getting at there is that this is not his mythology. This is his history. This is where he comes from as a character. And it's somewhat making a mockery of that because he's now kind of taken out of where he comes from and they're trying to cast him through this modern comedic lens and i guess while it works in the moment overall it's just a little bit jarring especially since you know the dark world was like oh these are the dark elves and this is the mythology and this is what you know this is you know the founding of asgard and this is your grandfather and you know there's the comedic elements tied in because i think that's still very much a part of the of of the character and where they've kind of gone with him where he's very serious but then there's some wise jokes but they're meant to go over his head a lot of times yes and he's not quite with it with the modern comedy and that's what makes it work and what makes it funny with him and especially even like in the avengers when we saw him he's still like very you know tony stark even quips like doth mother know you weareth her drapes because he's still very much that shakespearean thor that we knew yes yes but to, to get off the high horse here and move on through uh, the, re the rest of it, Serta uh, reveals that Odin's not on Earth. And this is a little bit of a surprise to Thor, so he very quickly handles the situation, dispatches our guy Surtur and takes his head, after rather his crown, uh, back to Asgard, where we see Odin, kinda. Uh, and, and he's enjoying... And he's enjoying uh, a low budget and it's loki's sacrifice at the during the during the dark world and it, it is played perfectly for comedy there like that one worked mm -hmm. and and odin's just eating it up and being just this uh corpulent lazy leader like i mean stereotype to the max he's in the robe he's eating grapes he's got the wine and the girls and the party and uh the reason that this works is because we very very quickly realize that this is not odin we we as the audience knew that this was not odin because we got our little cameo at the end of thor the dark world where we realized that loki has made a quick little swip swap with old dad yeah. Uh, so Thor pretty much figures this out right off rip. This this could have been a, a played out moment. This could have been a through thread later. But they're just like, no, no, no. You know, that stuff we set up at the end of Thor of the Dark World for Loki to be here as Odin. This is what he's been doing. Throwing parties, drinking wine, and making a, a, a spectacle of the events of the end of the movie Thor of the Dark World. And it, I loved the, I loved how they framed the play. I, I thought it was hilarious as well. Uh, and it makes sense because it's Loki. Uh-huh. To get him to reveal himself, Thor throws the hammer and says, you know, nothing nothing stops the hammer from returning to my hand. So if you're really Odin, reach out and stop it. And Loki knows that he can't. So he reveals himself. And to to the to the surprise of Asgard, which I have to wonder, like, hey, you know, you're you're king. Like, he, yeah, he's this old guy, but he kind of went off the deep end really quick and nobody thought to ask well i i think they were just distracted by well all the good times really like oh odin's lightened up a lot oh well the wine's flowing and we're all having a good time so i guess we'll just let that one slide i guess but yeah. But uh, Lo you know, Thor wants to know where Odin is, and Loki says, "Okay, fine. I'll take him. I'll take you to him." Well, 
he was right here. Yeah, he he's not uh, he's not where where he left him. Uh, there's an old folks home where I guess Loki decided to drop dear old dad after doing something to him to make him not the the all father, Lord of the Universe, some kind of mind control. Then he's immediately shanghaied by our, our good friend Doctor Strange from the last film. I've been falling for thirty minutes. But first, we gotta get more of that scene that we saw at the end of Doctor Strange. And it's expanded on even more, like, like, why does Thor have a refilling mug of beer? And it's basically just a drawn-out version of what you got at the end. And Strange is like, oh, okay, you're here to find Odin. Well, guess what? I know exactly where he is. And I'll, I'll send you guys there. You, as long as you take the troublemaker, everything's good. Which is exactly what they do. So, like, it felt like this scene dragged out far longer than it needed to. And in all honesty, like why the only re I think the only reason they put it in was because they wanted to have that interconnectivity with Doctor Strange. Like this scene could have very easily been anyone else or even someone within universe. Like, uh, it they have people within universe where they could figure out where Odin is, or it could have been anything else. But they wanted to they wanted to throw Doctor Strange in the mix because we saw him in the last film and we have to remember that we're within the Marvel universe, even though we are in the middle of a Thor movie. Right. Like it's not like there aren't like fifteen other Marvel movies at this point to remind us that we're in a Marvel movie. Mm. Like come on guys. So long story short, they find Odin and in a last moment of clarity before he passes to the stars uh, Odin tells him, hey, it tells his sons, hey, you guys aren't the only kids in this family. Like, yeah, Loki's adopted and whatever, but I kind of had one trial run before and she's crazy and I locked her away. But now that I'm going to die, she's back. I know I didn't tell you guys about this ever, even though, you know, I, you should you should probably know, especially, you know, Thor, your son, who is supposed to ascend the throne. Like, hey, when I die, your crazy sister's gonna come out of the dark realms of my brain and, and kill everybody or try to because she's crazy. That's not information they needed to know. Right? Like, yeah, no. This is what happens when you get someone who... Uh, the, the writing team... I'll talk about this later, but the writing team were like, oh, well, if we make a, a family connection there, that adds an emotional weight to the, the climax. And it's like, okay, but you are retconning established material in a way that doesn't make any sense with the established material. Like, come on, guys. If Odin died, Hela shows up. So what does Thor do as the brand new king? Let's say Thor had gone off correctly and he became king. So now he's got, what, a civil war on his hands on day one? Like, come on. Or, like, after he's been banished and the frost giants are gonna kill Odin, is she just not gonna appear because we don't know about her? Like, there are so many moments where this could have just blown up in their faces and all of a sudden we're presented with Hela, which is hella terrifying. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, Odin has his nice little dissipate into golden dust and then a dark portal opens and out steps the older sister and she is mad uh so she promptly tells thor that he doesn't know anything and says you look like odin and you sound like odin these are my brothers all right destroys mjolnir and even though thor doesn't want him to 
Loki calls down the Bifrost, ultimately giving Hela exactly what she wants, because she's gonna draw power from Asgard and take power. Yes. And as they're flying through the Bifrost, uh, Loki and Thor end up getting kicked off the main branch and thrown out into space. Mm-hmm. Through time and space, as as we as it gets revealed, uh, they both end up on Sakaar, a planet that collects lost things, apparently. And Thor goes through a very harrowing, uh, trippy, like introductory experience, and he gets his butt handed to him in nothing flat by a drunk Valkyrie. <laughs> yeah. That's got to be a little bit humbling. You've already had your sister come through, destroy your weapon. Uh, you're, you're like ace in the whole weapon, too. Like, that hammer is cool. And it's just gone now. Yeah. Valkyrie appears after Thor gets netted and electrocuted by some scavengers who are probably just going to eat him. And she goes, no, 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 that one's mine. She promptly falls off the platform to her ship. And it's a good thing those Asgardians are pretty hardy, because that should have been CTE. <laughs> yeah, probably. Also, just uh, it, it just bothered me how easily this warrior, thousand years of, of battle prowess and practice and everything, gets captured by a net and electrical force. He is the god of thunder. You mean to tell me he has zero resistance to electrical energy? Seems like a design flaw, if you ask me. It seems like a convenient way to capture our hero and force him to go through things that he shouldn't have to go through. But <clears throat> writing aside here, um, yes, we find out she takes him and we meet the Grandmaster. And it's hard to tell if Jeff G Goldblum is playing himself and he, we're just going to call him the Grandmaster or if you know he's actually playing a character here. I think Goldblum was in his element, and he was no less creepy in this movie than he has ever been in any other film I've seen him in. Um, I keep this list of celebrities up in my head that I feel like would make me very uncomfortable in real life. And Jeff Goldblum is on that list very quickly, followed by Nicolas Cage. Oh, okay. So, uh, just creepy, unhinged, and he does it very, very well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, He does, uh, and I do like... I Especially because the Grandmaster is a, an elder of the universe, much like the Collector. So we get these eccentric personalities, and we're seeing them on full display here with these with the actors that they picked. So it worked really well. So this this whole scene was played out very well. And who is at the Grandmaster's side? But our favorite green and black clad guy, Loki. Yeah, he's already made friends because he evidently landed on the garbage planet. Some three weeks or so in advance of Thor because time and space is weird like that even though they diverged from the Rainbow Bridge at more or less the same moment. Uh, they ended up weeks apart arriving on Sakaar. Uh, Thor is subsequently purchased and our angry bodyguard has to pay our favorite scrapper 142 aka Valkyrie and even though she's a drunk... <laughs> And the Grandmaster lives for the chaos. He's like, oh, I get to buy this very large warrior man from this crazy drunk woman. <laughs> cool. Pay the woman. I love it. Yeah. He, he's just having a grand old time. Well, he's the Grandmaster. Yeah, he is. Thor gets, a, Thor gets a haircut from our favorite guy, Stan Lee. 
He's like, please don't hurt me, old man. Please don't cut the hair. Yeah, he got the haircut. Uh, and he did get the haircut. And ends up having to fight in the contest of champions, which is a gladiatorial fight to the death, more or less, on the planet of Sakaar. Uh, we get a little cameo of all the champions' faces on the outside of the stadium when we first arrive on the planet. And did I see Ares on that? Because I have feelings. But we can get to those because we don't even ever get to see him. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. I will, like I wasn't paying attention to those. So, I, but it could also have been. Uh, there's another character who has a, a similar kind of like hairstyle and everything. It's a. Uh, Oh my god. It's the Shi'ar's, like, big bodyguard uh, Superman-type character, and I'm forgetting his name right now, but it could have been him, it, it, I, so it could have been a lot of different characters. But yeah, Thor gets to go fight. Uh, and we cannot forget that we are in a Marvel film, and oh. he is very familiar with Mr. Champion of Champions our incredible Hulk. Yeah, Hulk's gone through something, and he ended up here on Sakaar after Sokovia happened. And he's gone through quite the makeover. He's got nice big armor and everything, and a little bit more intelligence overall, which is probably a very bad sign. And then we promptly have... Honestly, I did like this fight, but what did you think about this fight? Uh, oh, fighter, master. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Don't put that on me. Uh, you can definitely tell Thor's out of his element, and I think they framed this really, really well. He even has this little moment with uh, Taika Waititi's character, Korg, saying, you know, I had this hammer, and, uh, you know, that was my favorite weapon, because now he's got to pick something else and he ends up going with dual blades which i did not think i'm like you know you're primarily a, a heavy melee guy wouldn't you just go for a basic hammer instead of double swords but that you know, i digress you can tell it's not his preferred fighting style and they do a good job highlighting his discomfort and i also liked that like in many moments in fight scenes, you do your best when you're in the most imminent danger because his powers did not decide to show themselves until he is about to be pulverized. Yes. Yeah. And then, of course, subterfuge must happen because I'm going to I'm going to give it to Thor. I think he won the fight or he would have won the fight if uh, he still wasn't hooked up to the subjugation discs. And uh, the Grandmaster's got to protect his champion, right? So uh, push of a button, drop the Thunder God, and then we drop the Hulk on him. Mm-hmm. And then Thor ends up waking up, still imprisoned, but somehow they thought it was a good idea to just let Thor and Hulk be roomies. Yeah, I'm not 100% certain on this. It may have been a conquest thing, you know. Hulk won his fight and Thor wasn't killed, so I guess he becomes property of the champion. I don't know. I don't know. I just know that I... Listen, I just know that I saw way too much hulky butt cheek in that scene, so you know what? I'm good. Well, it could have been worse. We could have seen a lot more Hulk. Yeah, that's fair, and I'm glad we didn't. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. So... Thor's in a very bad spot, I would say, yeah? Yeah, he's he's in desperate need of some friends. Uh, but meanwhile, yeah, we, we have to see what's going on 
over on over on Asgard, and and Hela's made quick work of everyone. The Warriors Three kind of had a couple of lines, but end up getting just wasted. Uh, Lady Sif nowhere to be seen. Yeah, uh, man, and just she like one shots Volstag, two shots Fandral. The only one who really gets any kind of a glorified ending is is Hogan the Grim, who actually dies fighting, basically. But it's not really a fight. <laughs> no, it really isn't. She decimated them. And then there's our guy Scourge, who is playing Doorman. He's the one in charge of the Bifrost Sword. And uh, Hela says, you know what? I think you'd make a great executioner. And our guy Carl Urban is kneading the brown pants desperately and in an act of self-preservation agrees but you can definitely tell he doesn't want to be there he's just more afraid of hella and of dying than he uh than he is of the potential to say no and you know what fair that's a very scary lady yeah i mean if a random stranger walked out of the magical portal door one two shot two of the best warriors in the world, who happened to be there at the time, I too would probably have gone ahead, bent the knee, and been like, "Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna at least draw breath another day." He does leave the Bifrost Sword behind as they go off in Asgard to do what they do as bad guys, because of course Hela, like any woman, needs her pet, and immediately goes to resurrect her her good boy Fenris, and. Man, he looks rough, and that's not even a pun. He's he's like kind of mummified, kind of like gross. She's like, you know what? I'm cool with it. I'm just gonna bring you back to life, and she does, as, along with an army of the undead. Yeah, because you know what's worse than an army of Asgardians? Undead Asgardians. Yikes. Okay. Scary. Cool. Scary. Scary. Uh, back on Sakar, Thor finds the Quinjet out in the wreckage of everything on the trash planet, and Hulk basically says, no, I'm not going to help you. She He wants to recruit the help of Scrapper 142. She's not interested either, because she has already fought Hela, and she knows what they're up against, and has already experienced the horrors that battle against her can, can have. Uh, it was bad. Uh, Hela killed most of the Valkyries, she was lucky to walk away. Yep. And, uh, but when Thor finds the Quinjet, the Hulk has decided to follow him because he doesn't want Thor to leave. I mean, Hulk's been there by himself for two years. Yeah, he's been crowned champion. He gets a bunch of perks for that. But he also misses a friend, even if these two do not get along at all. Mm -hmm. But... In following Thor, there's an old recording that they play up from Age of Ultron, and it reawakens Banner, and he takes control for the first time since Sokovia. It's been like two years. Oof. That is one heck of a wake-up for him. Kind of terrifying wake-up. Yeah, because he has been locked away inside the Hulk for these two years, and he it definitely took a mental toll on him. He was freaking out, and he was also worried that if he let the Hulk out, he might not come back because he was trapped in there for two years, and the Hulk got to walk around, and you like you said earlier, Hulk seemed a little bit more cognizant, intelligent, 
And that's scary because that means that he's the one taking directive right now. Like in the past, Banner was in there and he was aware and he even said, you know, it's like usually both of us have a hand on the wheel. And this time uh, it was like the Hulk just took control of everything and shut him in the trunk. Yep. And oof, that's a scary drive because I can't imagine that the Hulk is a very good driver. <laughs> no, no, probably not. Like he, he's not signing up for the the discounts for good driving. They're, they're, he's going to throw the meter out the window. And now that Banner's back, he puts on Tony's clothes and we get kind of uncomfy, quippy Banner saying, I'm going to disguise myself as Tony. And Thor's like, dude, you're, you're in disguise already. You're you're literally not the guy they think you are anymore. <laughs> you hit the bi- you hit the big green guy. You're good. Yeah. So Thor and Banner, they go up. They find Scrapper Forty Two, and they make another play for getting her to join up and help take back Asgard. And Loki, Loki wants in. Well, it helped that Loki decided to do some mind games with Scrapper Forty Two, Valkyrie. And reawakened basically her sense of duty. So after he messed with her head, she came out of it, beat him, tied him up and said, okay, here, I'll make you a peace offering. I'll join. Here's your brother. He's not a good person. And Loki happens to know the access codes to one of the Grandmaster's ships. So with their plan set in place to, in their words, storm the anus. I really wish they had picked anything else. <sighs> yeah, so they they the the big portal on Sakar that drops all the trash for like all the lost items from across the galaxy. It's called the anus. It's called the devil's anus. Yeah, the devil's anus. Why is that like a thing in Marvel, or did they just make that up? Uh, no, they made that. Okay, up. Okay, thank God. Yeah, I I, yeah, I knew we've nope. been to some pretty dark corners in 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 Marvel comics. I'm glad this is not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyway. So plan in place, they're going to get their plan together. The first part of this is to incite a riot or a revolution. And Thor goes to his good buddies, Korg and Meek, and they start the revolution in the gladiatorial camp. And then uh, Thor and Loki go through brotherly comic shenanigans with get help. Uh, I love that Thor just uses his brother as a blunt object to, to deal with the guards and Loki says, "Yeah, I still hate that." And I'm, I'm wondering, like, couldn't it have just been a clone? No. Okay. <laughs> he gotta, he gotta throw the real one. Uh, they steal the ship. Loki tries to double cross Thor, but that doesn't end up working out for him very well, uh, because Thor's gotten wise to a couple of his tricks. And they steal the ship. They make their way through the wormhole to Asgard, and of course, Hela's there, and they begin. The major battle. Heimdall has been secretly bringing the people of Asgard into this kind of safe house and is helping them to get to the escape route because he's been communicating with Thor through their weird eye thing because that's an established power now that they can communicate across the galaxy like that. Okay. Yeah, it's a it's a Heimdall thing. We're just gonna go with it. He can see everything, so thus he can communicate as well. Mm-hmm. It helped. It established stuff. But yes, Hela is going all kinds of uh, dictatorial 
uh, despot. She's executing civilians, trying to maintain control. She wants to get off Asgard because, hey, guess what? The sword's missing. You can't leave. So her undead army is just sitting around killing people rather than going out conquering the realms. Mm-hmm. All of our parties finally arrive on Asgard and we get a throwdown with the undead and some gods. Yeah, it's destruction all the way around and with other parts and other plays going on in the background because we've got Loki going off on his own. Uh, We've got uh, Banner and Valkyrie trying to help the citizens escape and Fenris cutting them off at the Rainbow Bridge. And if we thought that some of the scenes of, of death and broken bones were brutal in Doctor Strange when Banner like smack the ground oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah like he, we all thought he was gonna have that that moment um uh, that he had had um uh, in the incredible hulk or the or the avengers or any chance where he can just coolly transition into being the hulk yeah no 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 No, no. Instead, his body crumples into the rainbow bridge like a sack of potatoes. Uh, And then the dog, the dog does what the dog does and just immediately just goes to like, eat him. Like starts sniffing him. It sniffs. It moves on because like, all right, this is dead. But hey, I got live targets over here. And then we get the Hulk. The Hulk appears completely Rex little doggy. And in the meantime, Loki and the warriors, the gladiators, arrive to continue helping. And Scourge has a change of heart. He decides that he's going to sacrifice himself in order to save the Asgardians by using his his good buddies, the, the dual AK-47s. <laughs> or were they ARs? I think they were ARs. Probably. They were much more modern. Yeah, he... he, he has his dual-wielded guns, which, like, he never saw that he had any more ammo for those, so am I meant to assume that he just used up the, like, couple of hundred shots, maybe, that are in there, and then just yeeted himself into battle? Is that- is that- Basically. What- yeah. Uh, I- I'm surprised that they- that they fire, considering that, um, you know, Thor put a bunch of monster blood all over all of poor Scourge's stuff as he was coming back through the portal, and, you know- other things, but I digress. I mean, they still fought. They still fired. He maybe he maybe had a chance to to delve into his hobbies while following around Hela and Clean. becoming her executioners. Yeah. yeah, totally. But the Asgardians board the Grandmaster's ship, and Thor's now in charge of everything officially because he's rejoined his people. Odin is gone, and Loki is actually Loki, and decides to stick around because in order to escape. Asgard, they have to deal with Hela. And to do that, they just unleash Surtur, because that's what he wanted. They wanted to put his crown on the eternal flame of Asgard, grow the size of a mountain, and destroy Asgard. And unfortunately, in order to get rid of the source of Hela's power, that's what they had to do. And while with the eternal flame, Loki happens to pass by his favorite blue cube, because he just can't let that one go. And we can't just leave an infinity stone out in the universe to get destroyed, although that might have saved a lot of people a lot of trouble. I don't know if I don't know if the leveling of Asgard would have destroyed the would have destroyed the Tesseract, but I'd like to believe it would have and it would have saved us a lot of trouble in subsequent films. But 
Loki can't let it go, and we have to have a reason for our favorite purple guy to make a reappearance somehow, right? Well, okay, it probably wouldn't have destroyed it, but trying to find a tiny cube in the remains of the destroyed Asgard after it was all said and done, like, that would have, I feel like that would have taken at least a little while, but yeah, Loki obviously snatches that up while he's doing the Surtur thing, um... And Surtur destroys Asgard. Uh, we had this really awkward Korg moment that is just awful. Like, just to stop talking. It's a somber moment. We don't need a joke on top of a somber moment. Like, it's the equivalent of laughing at a funeral, almost. And it's like, please shut up. We have that in in, like, sports commentary where if you don't have something of substance to say just don't say it and this i think was one of those moments where it could have totally just been that somber moment of the people of asgard leaving their realm and watching their world everything that they have ever known get destroyed in a, a blaze of fire and instead we get Korg speaking when he doesn't need to be right it's like you were you have never been here you don't know what you're talking about for the love of god stop talking it can be rebuilt. Boom. Oh, never mind. No, are you are you serious? Definitely not. Uh, and it just didn't need to happen. I I overall I liked Korg as a character. I thought he was a good comedic relief, but in a movie full of comedic relief, maybe not super necessary. Right. The couple of just weird liners, and I think this has a lot to do with some of the choices made by Taika Waititi and the fact that it's his character, and a lot of this movie was improv. Whatever. Um, and that's really all I can say about that, because we are gonna pick up the events of this movie fairly, fairly quickly uh, afterwards, because in our mid credit scene, our Asgardian spacecraft is intercepted by an even bigger spacecraft. Dun, dun, dun. Thor isn't even king for, I'd say, ten minutes. Uh, he doesn't even get the credits. He doesn't even get the credits time. To be king of Asgard, and we are going to go right into Infinity War. That's where we kick this off. Mm-hmm. Well, and I will save all of what I'm going to say about Infinity War for Infinity War. But man, that is a significant, just another body blow to Thor and his mental health. Because like he's he's been traumatized both physically and mentally this whole movie even though he's been all laughy and jovial and blah 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 like he lost his hammer he lost his father he lost his world he's now king he's now king of asgard with all of these lives i mean he he was responsible for those people prior but odin was always king and he's had a lot on his plate to deal with for sure I mean, these movies all happen in a sequence of, like, 10 to 12 years, and he's gone through a lot. Even though he's been through all of these battles, he's this warrior, he's hundreds of years old. These last couple of years, it's probably more packed with action than he would be used to in a world that's used to going on for a couple thousand years. Yeah, that's also true. He's been subjected to a lot of change. And you had, like... Our world is built on his legend of Thor. So, so like, he's been Thor, this mighty warrior, for thousands of years. And now he's, he's having to kind of, like, re, 
figure out everything that he is. And we're going to throw into the mix Thanos. Yikes. And in our end credits, our official post-credit scene, rather, our Grandmaster is being confronted by some of his uh, former subjects. I don't think it's going to end very well for him. No. No, it doesn't. But it is funny. It was a nice touch of humor. That was the humor we needed in the movie. Anyway, I digress. I digress. Uh, that's it. That's really it for, for the plot of this one. Um, I think this movie was really well received. But I think among Thor fans, especially like the more comic book Thor fans, it was a divergence that really jarred you. And it was a little bit out of place. And it was definitely this was definitely the movie that didn't fit the the mold of where Marvel had been in more ways than a few. And some were good and some were not so good. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's kind of divisive between fans on on this one. And that gets played into even more in the uh, sequel, Love and Thunder, which we'll we'll talk about when we get there. So, but yeah, it like I don't want to just knock it because it has its fun moments. Uh, it's got great characterization um, of other characters, at least. Um, our villain is short lived. Hell, both villains are short lived. They both die. <laughs> hey, guess what? Continuing the trend of wasting perfectly good villains and and actors in those villain roles. We're just going to blow you up. Bye-bye. Yeah. It's terrible to see Marvel just saying, you know what? Uh, Kate Blanchett, great actress. Could have done something really cool with her character. Nah, she's just dead now. Yeah. Yeah. Just just, just one-offing them. Ugh. Even Carl Urban, while I did not love the character of Scourge and kind of what you know it's kind of a storied character in the comics and i didn't really love him here but they got carl urban who is no slouch in the acting department and they're just like nah he goes out in a blaze of glory and he's dead now too what <sighs> yeah and anthony hopkins is done now too and he's uh, he's anthony hopkins but i really you know they've made odin such a terrible person it's like okay i guess we don't really need to see him again Right. But they also made him a terrible person because of this movie. We get a lot of retconning of Odin's history. Uh, he, you know, how he was going off. He was collecting the Infinity Stones at one time with Hela. They were conquering the realms. And then he stopped. And when Hela didn't, he had to banish her. And there's a bunch of fan theories about why that happened and all of that. Uh, I'm not going to get into any of them because I don't care. We do a lot of retconning to Odin to make it better for him to have died, basically. Like, oh yeah, turns out he was a liar and a cheat and a despot, and it's a good thing he's dead. And it's like, it's not really the kind of Odin that we were brought to for both of the other Thors. Yes, he was a hard father. He was strict. He had rules. But he wasn't this person that, like, hella is 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 angry at yeah i suppose a couple thousand years of imprisonment uh would make you change your views on a on a person and hell is crazy so there's that too uh right again i think there are worse places to be when, than where this movie ended up but i just did not love the direction they took thor from here because 
we saw so much maturity and growth in him at the end of Dark World, and it seems like they just took all that and they said, you know what, we're going to forget all that and lean hard into the himbo side of Thor. Because we got a teeny bit of that in, in the first Thor movie, and it was like kind of cute and, and, and it was a shtick and it was a thing. But it worked there because it was grassroots. It was where we first found him and he was meant to be a little bit goofy, a little bit immature, very aloof. And then we're getting that aloofness now, but it's just weirdness, not even aloofness. Yeah, no, it's like Thor 1, he's a fish out of water when he's in the mortal realm. You know, things are much more fragile. We don't act that way. You know, when you want something, you just say, please, you know, th those kinds of things. It's not himbo, it's he doesn't know how to operate in another world. It's the fish out of water. Here, he is, they, they lean out of the, like, yes, he's in a gladiatorial thing, and he's supposed to be this fighter, and, and he doesn't understand what's really happening to him, and he's dealing with different losses, but he's kind of just, like, turned his brain off and isn't thinking, and he's just being an idiot through it all. And he just happens to be lucking into, oh, the Quinjet survived. Oh, we can get off the planet. Oh, I can go fight Hela now. Like, it's like, oh, I magically, I magically met the Hulk out in space after a freak accident. And oh, yeah, there's this incredible Asgardian warrior also conveniently here. And Loki's actually going to play along. And I, I, I caught him once doing a bad thing. So now he's done. That's a lot of plot conveniences. Yes. Okay. Uh, that's uh, probably enough of us going off on Thor. We should get to our mid-break, and I'll talk about some of these characters and their origins. Okay. Uh, welcome to the mid-break. We'd like to thank everyone that has stuck with us this fall and are part of the Patreon. A, a big shout-out goes to Penguin Ninja at our superhero tier. You too can join in on the fun by joining up via the link in the episode description for the month of July only, which we are now more than halfway through. If you join up at the superhero tier, you get to co-host with us on our episode covering Spider-Man Far From Home as the patrons episode on July 31st. If you are not at that tier by July 31st, you don't get to join us. That's that's our hard cutoff. So if you want in now's the time. Absolutely. And if you cannot support us financially, you can always drop us a review on Apple or rating on Spotify. Any of the five-star reviews left there will get read out on this part of the show. We don't have one this week. And if you just want to talk with us directly, you can always hit us up on Twitter, Insta, Facebook, and or the Robots Radio Discord, where we have a channel specifically for the show. Link for that Discord will also be in the show description. And speaking of shows on the robots, tell us about the fight space, Shanko. Absolutely. If you're not tired of hearing from me yet, I'm also the host of a show called The Fight Space, one of the only female-led martial arts shows out there where I discuss the deep roots of martial arts and modern media, cover historical superfights, break down fight scenes in film, and share news from the fighting community. I use my experience training in combat sports to give a unique perspective in the shrouded worlds of martial arts and the people who call that space home. I recently had my good friend Jeremiah on the show and we had a great time covering one of those crazy super fights and catching up a little bit on old times. Uh, where else can we find you, Psych? You can find me on the Mass Effect Blue Shift. It's a tabletop RPG podcast that uses the Fate system. We play Citadel security agents solving crime on the Citadel. I play dashing human agent Jack Parizo. 
It's a lot of fun. Episodes drop monthly on the first Friday of the month. Outside of the Robots Network, I've joined Scyther Audio to create the Avengers Audio Drama, which is a spinoff of their of their amazing X-Men audio drama series. This will be a years-long project, as I'm the writer, the director, the casting director, and the audio engineer for this one. Uh, and I will be making my debut as a voice actor playing the Hulk, which I am really excited for. First episode goes up in September to coincide with the 60th anniversary of the first Avengers comic. If you have any more questions or want to audition for the plethora of characters, please email AvengerAudioDrama, all one word, at gmail.com. And that will be it for the mid-break. Okay, so I've got a few characters and we've got a couple comic books to discuss, actually, for a change. So up first is Surtur, introduced in Journey into Mystery number 97, October 1963, as a cameo and a full appearance in number 99, two months later, by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. He's pretty one for one here. They base the character on the Norse, Norse mythology of Surtur, with, that is S-U-R-T-R. And they did it fairly accurately. Uh, he's the ruler of Muspelheim, he's a fire giant, and he's a destroyer of Asgard during Ragnarok. Pretty solid here. Done. Next, we've got Korg and Meek, introduced in The Incredible Hulk 2000, number 93, in May 2006, by Greg Pak and Carlo Pagulayan. Uh, though Korg was retconned to be one of the stone men Thor fought in Journey into Mystery number 83 back in 1962. I don't know why. I don't make these rules. It's just what it is. Uh, Korg was a gladiator on the planet Sakaar, where he meets and befriends the Hulk. Uh, Meek was a member of the native insect race on Sakaar, and also a gladiator. They join up with Hulk as he kind of goes through the transformation from just the Hulk into the gladiator ruler of Sakaar. And that's the entire premise behind Planet Hulk, which we'll talk about later. Uh, also, Meek gets a lot more character in the comics, just overall. It's not a very good one. Uh, Korg is still alive and kicking about somewhere, while Meek died at the end of the Planet Savage arc. Them's the breaks, I guess. Next, Scourge the Executioner. Introduced in Journey into Mystery number 103 in April... 1964 by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Normally, he is partnered with Amora the Enchantress, as he is in love with her, and thus does everything she asks. Uh, he's one of the original members of the Masters of Evil, which is what happened uh, in one of the very early Avengers comics. He and Amora get banished to Earth, and they immediately join up with Heinrich Zemo and start up the Masters of Evil. It's like just a thing they do done he is the bad guy it is a bad guy and is typically just the muscles for most of amora's heists and plans and schemes which he just follows dude fully through up until eventually where he does perform some heroic actions that result in his death and later placement in valhalla where he remains so he redeems himself which the movie here does fairly well. He starts as a bad guy, does a heroic thing, dies, the end. It's, it's kind of like the Cliff Notes version of his entire existence right there. Uh, next, we've got Valkyrie, 
She was introduced as a disguise for the Enchantress in the Avengers number 83, but she didn't get a character and so truly introduced until The Incredible Hulk Volume 2, number 142, in August 1971. Uh, credit still goes to Roy Thomas and John Buscema for her creation, though. Her real name is Brunhilda, but her essence was bonded with a couple of different mortal women over the time, sort of a quasi-Thor-Blake-like relationship. So, because Thomas had said, hey, I want a female Thor, and that's that's how they decided to do it. I'm not going to say that worked out particularly well, but it is what it is. Uh, the first woman was Samantha Parrington, who was a like socialite, and Amora bonded her essence to Valkyrie as a means to get back at Thor, and that was quickly severed. And then later, she was bonded with Barbara Norris. And this team of Norris and Valkyrie would serve on the Defenders team for years until Marvel decided they wanted X-Factor and killed her and most of the team off so they could get Beast and Iceman back. The current Valkyrie is Jane Foster, after all of the other Valkyor were killed during the War of the Realms event very recently. The Tessa Thompson version was also brought into the comics in the Exiles book as an alternate Valkyrie. So we get, we get some of that... Uh, Art imitating art imitating art level here uh, in the Exiles book. They brought her over because she was really well received in the film and they said, okay, the fans like that. Let's put it here. Right. But we couldn't do it with the original because the original is a tall blonde woman. Mm -hmm. uh, all right. Next, we've got the Grandmaster. Introduced in The Avengers number 69 in October 1969 by Roy Thomas and Sal Buscema. He is one of the elders of the universe, much like the Collector. He loves games of competing teams working against each other to achieve the win. It's like his whole shtick is, is that competition. And the, I think he like, it's not that he feeds off of that or anything, but he does love it a lot. So that's, it, it gives him joy. Uh, he's even played against death one time to resurrect the Collector at a time when the Collector had been killed off. So he's... He's all kinds of levels of crazy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, like I said, Jeff Goldblum was perfect casting because the Grandmaster is nuts. Yeah, they they uh, they picked the right guy. That's for sure. All right. Last, we've got Hela introduced in Journey into Mystery number 102 in March 1964 by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Comic Hela is based on the Norse mythology and the family relation was introduced for the MCU only. Which does raise the question of what does the MCU Norse mythology look like? Because Hela is established in the Norse mythology as the goddess of death and ruler of hell, with one L, and Niflheim, and she lords over the dead. She, she's, also, she's also the daughter of Loki, so making her... The, like, adoptive older sister of Loki just completely screws up the family tree mythologically. Yes, yeah, ex precisely. But so then, also, who is the the ruler of the dead inside the MCU's Norse mythology? Because it can't be Hela. Hela was banished before even Thor and Loki knew about her. So how does humanity know about her? Does humanity know about her? It's It's just... When you take something that's so, so established and you just twist the one thing here, 
it throws out everything else. I mean, they've done weird things with mythologies for a while. I mean, they've got the whole Greek line, like I brought up Ares earlier, and that's also kind of screwed up. So I think it's just par for the course, and we have to accept it at face value and accept whatever Marvel presents to us as the truth. Because ultimately, what we know in universe is that they've got books and things about mythology, and everyone's aware, like, oh, yeah, Thor, the god of thunder, like, the mythological guy, you're crazy. So it is. It, it does raise a lot of questions. It is a bit weird, right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, in the comics, she has killed a lot of Asgardians over the years, including Thor, several times. Uh, he's he gets resurrected and then traded out for someone else, and then resurrected again. It, it's just this back and forth. It's like I say when I say death is a vacation for Marvel heroes. I'm not kidding. This is what happens sometimes. Currently, she is on a twisted bender with Thanos uh, after losing access to a lot of her powers and and everything else. So she's trying to take over Asgard again, and Thanos has been stripped of a bunch of his abilities, and they're just kind of going on a like kind of a Bonnie and Clyde esque thing. That that's a weird that's a weird couple. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Like, listen. Thanos can't have death himself, so he's just gonna go with, like, this other death goddess. Sure. But she she's depowered, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Creepy. Those would be some weird-looking purple babies. I would rather not think about that. Hey, listen, Norse mythology is even worse. Loki's kids are the goddess of death, a snake that eats its own tail and will swallow the world, and a horse with eight legs. How normal do you that want this to birthed. be? That Like, Yeah, yes. and he was the mother. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I do. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Anyway, last that I've got here is the comics that inspired partially the movie here. Is it's a mix of two. We've got Planet Hulk and the Ragnarok stories. Um I'm not gonna get into like the real other details, but Planet Hulk overall is is the story of the Illuminati making a decision that the Hulk cannot be trusted and should not be here anymore. And so they manage to tranquilize him, throw him in a spaceship, and send him off into space. Now, the idea was to send him to this beautiful, deserted world. No one. Anywhere. He'd have been just completely alone and by himself. Which, as the Hulk, he is primarily known for, leave Hulk alone. He just wants to be left alone. So the Illuminati decided, we'll give you your, your space, Hulk. Here's the whole planet. Naturally, that doesn't happen. He gets blown off course, black hole or some nonsense or whatever. Anyway, he gets sent to Sakaar. Sakaar is a war world. And he slowly, you know, he develops friendships with Korg and Meek, and it's not safe for Hulk to transform into Banner. So the Hulk has to maintain control and stay in control the entire time. Eventually, he wins his way up the ranks uh, they defeat the rulers, they take over, he has a relationship with another woman as the Hulk. It's a whole thing. Eventually, he does come back to Earth, and that's the, the sequel event to that is World War Hulk, when he comes back and just wrecks everything in, in rage about being sent out and betrayed by his teammates, which is rightfully so. And... For the life of me, I don't know why we needed so many Hulk properties in a Thor movie. Yeah, that 
that part. <laughs> we already had the Thor universe. There's a plethora of characters they could have pulled over from Thor's world if they wanted to add a bigger cast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, any of the other realms, any of the other storylines really would have been just perfect for this Ragnar- Hell, just Ragnarok would have been fine. Fighting to keep Asgard from being destroyed by the events of Ragnarok and the uh, questions of fate versus free will and all that stuff. Like, that would have been, I feel like, a really good movie, and we didn't need the Hulk for any of it. But instead, we get Sakaar, and we get the Hulk, and it, it just, it felt like, I don't know. Like, because we tied in the Hulk, we then had to use a bunch of other Hulk stuff. And it's like, so whose movie is this really? Is this Thor's movie? Or is this a Thor and Hulk movie? Or is this a Hulk movie where the where Thor is the secondary character? Yeah, and does that mean Thor's now playing second fiddle in his own movie? I mean, we've seen it before. I don't know. It, it feels like a backdoor for what, what I kind of foresaw... Marvel doing, especially once She-Hulk started coming out, we're getting getting more uses of Hulk properties in Marvel stuff as the deal between uh, Universal and Disney comes to an end here, and they reabsorb the Hulk from Universal's copyright. Does that mean the incre- Does that mean the Incredible Hulk ride at Universal is going to go bye bye? More than likely. Mm. Like, when the deal ends here in less than a year, that's it. Like, Universal doesn't get the rights anymore. Jeez. Hey, listen, I hope that works out to where I get Avengers Campus down here in Florida, okay? That's all I want. Yeah, well, that requires Disney to not keep shooting themselves in the damn foot, now doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And I'm not holding my breath for that anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, public and current events aside, uh, that's that's it. That's all I've really... I mean, the Ragnarok series is what happens at the end. um, And we've mentioned it before. uh, At the end of Ragnarok, it's Thor, only a couple of Asgardians left. And he has to go out and kind of uh, reawaken the souls of of his compatriots like the Warriors 3. So with that, you know, with that already established, and in fact, the cycle of Ragnarok has been established within the comics mythology already. There's no reason we couldn't, like, maybe get our Warriors 3 back or or anyone else. Mm-hmm. Now, yes, of course, it would have to be changed with the uh, unfortunate passing of Ray Stevenson here recently. Uh, we'll get a different Volstag, and who knows if Fandral, the, if the actors for Fandral or Hogan would even want to come back either, especially Zachary Levy. Like, he's already a big name. He's Shazam. So, like, why would he want to come back to playing third character to uh, a Thor character, right? Yeah, it, it's, I think, to bring back the Warriors 3, there's got to be demand, and I don't know if the demand is necessarily there. I would personally love it, because I want to see more of them, and I feel like they've always been a cast of characters that have been shafted within this universe. And I would love to see the story of you know, that would be a great next step for Thor now that we're through the events of movies that have already happened that we're going to talk about soon. And I don't know that we're going to get that, though. No, you're probably right. However, I think they would make a great Disney Plus series. Mm. The Warriors 3 going out and facing off against mythological threats across the world. That 
that would be awesome. Globe trotters. Yeah, I feel I feel like that would be awesome. It could also just be mismanaged crap material and no one would ever want to watch it. Like it could be mythological road trip meets buddy cop movie and it could be great or it could just be a hot mess. Exactly. Exactly. But speaking of hot messes, we now need to move firmly and finally into our big episode covering two movies, Avengers, Affinity War, and Endgame. So tune in next week for a very long episode, and it's going to be very long. Buckle up, guys. And we do start off with one hell of a mess aboard Thor's ship full of refugees. So on that note, have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Night, everyone. As we all know, when it comes to making a movie, there are a lot of people working behind the scenes to make that movie magic happen. And it is no different when making a podcast. Welcome to the credit section of the MCU Lorecast. Captain Shanko and I would like to personally thank the following for their incredibly hard work and faith in us to get this podcast rolling. Tom, the head of the Robots Radio Network, for hosting and mentoring. In 7 Legend of the Mass Effect Lorecast for inspiration, Genesis and Vervada of the Two Girls One Ship podcast for introducing us, Let's Not, a fellow tabletop gamer and friend for the amazing artwork, Pipe Men, a veteran and friend for the outstanding music, our significant others for believing in and supporting us through this, and you, our fans, without whom this would be a vanity project. Let us know how we're doing by leaving us a review on Apple or a rating on Spotify. And, to quote Stan the Man, enough said. Hi, I'm Aaron. And I'm Ariel. And we're the hosts of the Legend of Zelda Lorecast, a podcast about all things Legend of Zelda, from Errol to Zora, and all the fun things in between. If you're ready to dive deep and learn more about the Legend of Zelda lore and everything surrounding it, come join us on the Legend of Zelda Lorecast. You can find us on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever else you get your podcasts. We hope to see you soon.